Go ahead and take out your Bibles to the book of Mark. We are beginning this new series this morning from this gospel, and I am excited because what we're doing is we're immersing ourselves into an entire book of Scripture instead of just taking a topic. And there's nothing wrong with topics. I mean, I love the focus we had last week on the resurrection of Jesus. But what this does is when we go into a book, we just we go in it, and we, we're supposed to clear our minds, okay? We're not supposed to go in with preconceived ideas of what words mean and what we think all the, these uh, narratives mean. And we're just to let the author take us through it. That's, that's what's supposed to happen. And so each week in class, we're going to deal with the context. And, and we, we are, if you were in here this morning, you know, we peeled back several layers. Uh, we went back to where Mark led us back into Isaiah and Malachi and, and uh, 2 Samuel and other places. And the sermon is going to be higher application. And that's going to be based on what we learn in class. Uh, and so I really encourage you to come to both because when we have this, this context and we have application, then the hope is there will be transformation. And I can't think of a better way for us to make life change than in one of the Gospels of Jesus. I've chosen the second Gospel, which is that of Mark. And you'll notice... And you will probably be thankful because I'm long-winded. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. Uh, it, it's, it's really interesting the way Mark does this. It's almost like he's just kind of, he just doesn't give a lot of details. He just, it's like he's rushing to get to its glorious and climactic end. It, it, it's just really amazing. Around the world, many believers, they, um, and, and even people who don't go to church, they associate the birth of Jesus with Christmas, and at Christmas time, we have a focus on Jesus' birth. But if you go to the book of Mark for the first time, you're going to see that's just, that detail's not there. We learn about John the baptizer. We're going to talk about him today, but we don't learn about his birth. We don't learn about his parents like we do in others. He just, he just, like, he just starts out running. We just, we just like jump into this, and it's exciting. So, what he says here in the first verse is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of, we said, it means good news. I like that, don't you? You know, I think too many times we, our idea of Christianity is bad news. How we treat each other is like, that didn't sound like good news. People who live in fear, that's not good news. He's telling us something here that this is good news. And we talked about, and we went a lot more detail, but the way this word was used in the Hebrew and also in even Greek literature is this was something of an announcement. Good news was something that came from a battlefield after a great triumph, after a great victory. And they would send these messengers out to proclaim good news. And from the very beginning, he says, this is a story about victory. And there may be people in this room right now, and you just feel defeated. 
There are people who are at home right now, and they're not anywhere, and they're, because they're just defeated. They feel like failures. You know what I mean? Whether it be marriage or children or their careers or maybe their temptations or their sinfulness. Now, those who know me well know that I am a Cubs fan, which means I have gone through years of disappointment, right, Brother Bob? Years of disappointment, years of, of when teams were supposed to do well, and then they didn't do well, and, 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 and we'd have losing seasons, and, and then there was the Bartman incident, I know where I was. Do you remember where you were, Bob, when that happened? Bob remembers. I know exactly where I was. I was in Nashville up in my bonus room watching, watching that game. I remember it. And some of those who are older remember the curse of the goat. You're like, your team was cursed? with a Yes, read it. But then finally, in 2016, we won the World Series. 108 years. Do you hear that? Miss Ola was not alive when the Cubs won the World Series before this. 108 years. I've never seen a fan base so excited. Man, you just, you watch these people, they're crying. You hear about, you heard these people, they're going to the gravesides of people who are Cubs fans and they're telling them about it. And then there was this, this parade and, and it was the biggest ever of a celebration. Over 5 million people show up for this. I wasn't there because I couldn't get there. 5 million people. Wow. But guess what? It's short-lived. It's 2019. Starting off the season, we were awful. We're supposed to be good. Pitching's terrible. Hitting's pretty good. Can't win. Errors. All kind of things. And, and this happened for the first 10 games or so. And people, they were like, we need to fire the manager. We need to, we need to fire some pitchers. We need, I mean, we're ready to fire everybody. And it's like, what happened? 108 years, we finally get a championship? Isn't that enough? No. No. I remember what it took to get my Bible degree at Faulkner University. Missy and I got married after the first year of college, actually a year and a half almost. And uh, so I took a full-time youth minister job in Oxford, Alabama, and I was a student full-time, and I would drive two hours one way twice a week for the, the next three years to get my degree. Uh, it was rough. Only thing that made it worse is if I had had to walk uphill in the snow both ways. That would have been worse. Um, but I just remember there were times I just thought, this is never going to end. I'm never going to get my degree. It felt like that. It really did. And then finally the day came and I walked across the stage. I got my degree. And I remember thinking, this victorious feeling. But do you know by the next week, I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel like a failure, but I, I just, I was like, 
I thought I would, thought it would last longer, that feeling. You see, anytime we chase the world, anytime we chase victories that our society has for us, we're, we're going to have these moments of victory, but they don't last. Mark is telling us about good news that lasts. He's telling us about something that is totally different than any experience that we have. The good news is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's keep going. Verses 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Mark starts off and he is quoting from the Hebrew scriptures, what we many times refer to as the Old Testament. And the question is why? And maybe, maybe the bigger question is who cares? But Mark cares because there's a purpose. There's a purpose behind it. I want to try something with you, okay? Let's see how you do. I'm going to give some movie quotes, famous movie quotes. And I'm going to start them off, and I'm going to let you finish them, for those of you who remember. And some of these are old. Uh, Bill Rakes may remember all of these. All right, so, so there's one. And it says, Toto, I've got a feeling, what? We're not in, look here, teenagers up here throwing down. All right, all right. Um, okay, Jaws, any Jaws fans? Oh yeah, Jaws, huge. I didn't go back in, I haven't been back in the ocean since. So there's this moment and the sheriff, uh, and, and by the way, this, this particular moment was epic because she realized all of a sudden her life has completely changed. Completely changed. It's an epic moment. So here is this with the sheriff, and he says, we're going to need a bigger boat. Ah, yes, we're going to need a bigger boat. And if you remember what happened, he just saw Jaws for the first time. He saw the immense size of this thing. They knew it was big, but he had no idea it was this big. It's an epic moment, right? Anybody see the movie Citizen Kane? Uh, it's from 1941. Raise your hand high. Okay, I know some of you, you're, you may be, it's, it was 1941. I've seen the movie, not when it first came out, uh, but I did see the movie. And so there's, there, I remember this in high school, watching this movie. Uh, and, and in fact, when I was preparing this, this is the first movie that came to my mind uh, when I thought, and it was a one word theme of the whole movie. What was it? Somebody said it. Rosebud. Rosebud. What's Rosebud? Rosebud was his cheap sled as a child. And Citizen Kane became this, this wealthy business tycoon. But at the end of his life, he just keeps calling out Rosebud, and they didn't know what he was talking about. Rosebud was the sled that he was on and playing as a child the day they came and took him away from his mother. And for him, Rosebud, at the end of this life, the guy who it seemed like had everything, the only thing that he really cared about 
was rosebud because it symbolized simplicity, it symbolized comfort, it symbolized a mother's love. You see that? That word, that's, that's what's entailed in this word. When we hear certain lines, we're like, oh, yeah, that was an epic moment. I remember that, and that's why we remember these lines. And that's what Mark and the other New Testament writers continue to do. They continue to quote from these narratives from the Hebrew Scriptures. Because guess what? Those narratives were their movies. These were their stories. And they're meant to be our stories. And so Mark, he comes in here and he blends Exodus chapter 23. We talked about all this in class in Malachi 3 and, and uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Wow, what a passage. And, and you, you see this in there and it's like, oh. Oh, this is what this is about. What's happening here is an epic moment. It's an epic moment. In class, we took a closer look at Isaiah chapter 40, and we said that there is this messenger who is preparing a highway for the arrival of Yahweh, the arrival of the very presence of God. And he's bringing his kingdom and salvation and good news and justice and mercy and compassion. The good news has finally come. And Jesus is not just some hero. He's not just another narrative in their story. He is the fulfillment of their stories. He is the manifestation of God. Now let's keep going. Verses 4 through 6. John appeared. Ah, here's the messenger. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Here's a movie scene. And the actor is played by John. What is he wearing? Oops. What is he wearing? He's wearing camel hair and a leather belt. You may say, well, that's what everybody wore. No, it's not. People didn't wear that. That's weird. It is. It's just weird. And he ate bugs. You see that? He's eating locusts. Wild honey sounds pretty good, but, the, you know, seriously. And it's like, is that what we're supposed to get from this guy? That he was just a weird guy out here, and he's proclaiming that, that there's this one that's coming. Is that what this is about? No. What he is playing is Elijah. Guess what? Wore the same thing. He wore the same thing. And if you see someone uh, that in this same thing, you're going, you are to relate to what was happening with them. Let me show you, just based on what we wear. If you see someone with a stovepipe hat, who do you think of? Abraham Lincoln. Very good. All right. We'll see how people do on the next one. 
If you see someone wearing a gold suit, who do you think of? Elvis. Yeah. Lonnie, I brought a moon pie for the first person to get that one. That, one, that one's totally worthy. All right, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you another one here, okay? I'm not going to show a picture. I'm just going to describe the clothing, and you tell me who this is. You ready? Leather jacket, fedora, and a whip. Michael Jackson? <laughs> it's Indiana Jones. I got to sit down. Michael Jackson? Fedora. Yeah, does he carry a whip? The whip, the whip. All right, all right. And you got, you got Toto. You got the Wizard of Oz. You could have said Michael Jackson on that one. All right. That one just threw me for a second. John the Baptizer. He looked like Elijah. He hung out in the same places of Elijah. And Elijah is the guy that the Jews were anticipating that would come with the arrival of God. With the arrival of Yahweh in our world. And we talk deeper into that in this morning's lesson. The wilderness, folks, is significant. He's not there just to get away from people. The wilderness is significant. It is the place, and you, as you go through, and some of you have already seen this, if you are still reading with us as a church through, the, the, through this first testament, and you're seeing that the wilderness becomes a place of deliverance. You, you saw it with Moses. You see it with Israel. You, we see it later on with David. We see it with Elijah. All of these go to the wilderness for deliverance. What's happening here in this text? John is calling people out to the wilderness. Get away from your routines. Get away from your comforts. Get away even from your normal time at the temple. And be baptized for repentance and forgiveness of sins. Step away from your normal, comfortable routines. Get out of this mode of, uh, you know, I... I'm going to church. Go to the wilderness. Get out of those worldly routines. Get out of the distractions and prepare to meet God. That's what the wilderness is about. It's a place to meet God. We prepare to meet God. Put down those cell phones. Turn off those televisions. Stop going for a moment for frequently visited people and places and just get to a solitary place to prepare to meet with God. John's baptism was a spiritual renewal. He, he, repentance, that's an interesting word. You hear that word a lot, repentance. What does repentance mean? It is, it is a change of a way of thinking. It's, it's a change of understanding. And it's a logical thing. It's not an emotional thing. Okay? I can get you all hyped up this morning. But that's, that's not going to lead to real change. Real change happens 
logically, within our minds. And, and it's when we decide that we are going to embrace it, let it lay claim to our entire lives. Folks, isn't that what baptism, immersion is about? We just, we completely immerse ourselves in it. This, this is this baptism that John brought of repentance. It's not turning away from evil. Yes, that, yes, that's going to happen. But that's not the goal. The goal is to turn to God. Prepare to meet God. That's the highway that he speaks of. You see this. Unfortunately, many want forgiveness. And they just lose the significance of the arrival of God's presence on the highway. That's not to lessen forgiveness. <laughs> we got to have forgiveness Got to have forgiveness. So many people at times, they just, they just want to be baptized to feel like they're saved and now I just wait to go, go to heaven. What Mark is telling us in this very beginning is that God is here now. His kingdom has broken into our world. The king has come. When he stepped into our world, life on earth changed for those who come to him. We come to the wilderness, folks, to prepare to meet God. That's why we go there. Everything else in life leaves us empty, it leaves us disappointed. It leaves us wanting more. Even baptism, if that's the only way you look at baptism. The way you do church, it can leave you with the same results. Church people need, we need the wilderness too. But baptism, repentance, and forgiveness of sins as great and as powerful as what we see John is proclaiming, guess what? That's not even the pinnacle. You say, well, wait a second. I thought we teach baptism, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. Yes. But you know what? Too many times we leave off the pinnacle. You don't see the pinnacle? Let's keep reading. Seven and eight. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Oh, listen to that. John says, I have baptized you with water. Here it is. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The very thought of the presence of God coming down the highway brought John to his knees. He says, I'm not even worthy. This, this one coming down the highway, this heavenly highway, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. The king is coming. His presence is near. And notice, Jesus is going to bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit? It is God. 
John's baptism was the preparation for something greater. A permanent change. Get this. A permanent change in one's relationship with God. And he picks up another theme from, from the First Testament. One of the great promises that Israel had been waiting for for centuries. Listen, folks, they, they believed there was going to be another exodus. We read about the exodus. They believed there was another one. They didn't quite understand it, but they believed that God was coming again. And he's going to lead them out from their enemies. He's going to break forth from their bondage. They would be free again. And it would be a time... And they were right with this, that they would be with God and God, and he would be their God. They would be his people. You see, when they were in the wilderness for the first time as Israel, God's presence was there. It was there in the, the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day. And, and they could camp all around this thing. And they could, there is the presence of God. He is here. He is amongst us. He is our God. We are his people. But now God's spirit, God's presence lives with And in us. The Spirit of God becomes the very air we breathe. And the fire in our hearts. Mark wants you to sense the shock of this statement. The one coming down the highway. He's bringing the Spirit. Now that said, the Lord does not come to those who are not prepared. What was, what was John doing? You've got to prepare to meet God. There's a great song. We sing it several times. Oh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Listen, don't let this series become another a good sermon as you're walking out the door. Let it penetrate your soul. Let it transform every fiber of your being. How you think and how you live. And I know there's some, they're contemplating baptism. Listen, baptism is part of the preparation, as is repentance. It's part of the preparation for the coming of God into us, his spirit. And so what I say to you is simply this. Head to the wilderness. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son and coming into our world and changing every aspect of our lives. Such an epic moment, Father. We, we, we really, we struggle to grasp it. But Father, just give us a little bit more, a little bit more than we had before we walked into this room. Father, we are in awe of you. We are in awe of your son. And Father, we cannot thank you enough for the spirit of God who goes with us. Your very presence, Father, is with us every moment. Father, I pray for people in this room right now and they know they've got to get to the wilderness. They've been hanging out in the world too long. It's, it's time for them to see that what you give us and what you bring is just, is just so much more. Father, come and deliver us. Save us. Father, I pray that you prick the hearts of all of us who are here, whether it's those who have made the decision to follow you or, or those who still are, are trying to make that decision and they've been toying around with it. And, but, Father, we all need you. And so, Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.